the Green Party is voting as well. We're going to have special super coverage here on KPFA and Pacifica Radio starting at 5 o'clock Tuesday afternoon, February 5th, and lasting as long as it needs to. I'm Larry Bensky. I'll be co-hosting with Amy Allison. As always, tune in to KPFA for the most reliable and quickest results of all 22 states' races and the best interpretation of what it might mean. That's Tuesday, February 5th, election night. On KPFA, 5 to 10 p.m. at least, 94.1 FM. This is KPFA or KPFB, Berkeley or KFCF in Fresno, kpfa.org. It's 3 o'clock. Please do stay tuned now for Stone's Throw on Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone coming up next. The ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness From the ones Who walk In light Light them up Boys There's your picture Drop the shadows Out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Yes, today is the big day, the big day. Glug, glug, give me some coffee. Wake up, pull yourself together, pull yourself together, Stone. (laughs) It's 2008. It's February the 5th, my God. If I'd known I was going to live this long... I'd have paid attention. Yes, February the 5th, 2008, election day. Yes, super, super day. Our last hurrah could be. Oh, how Americans, North Americans, I mean, just love a Super Bowl. This this uh, Super Bowl atmosphere. I see the sidewalks painted chalked over there by the high school. Um, I can't say on the air what <laughs> what they say, but I think of today as the big game. Here it comes. Uh, yes, the ship of state sailing onward, possibly sailing onto the rocks. We cry out for a new captain. I read the old 19th century poems last night, you know, the one about Abraham Lincoln, about the fearful trip that's done, that was our civil war. We got through that by the skin of our teeth. And the poem says the captain is fallen, fallen. Yes, on the deck our captain lies, fallen, cold, and dead. I haven't thought of that since Jack Kennedy, actually. I haven't thought of politics seriously since John Kennedy died, but that's my personal secret. I keep that to myself. Uh, that was my little epiphany. <laughs> as as the boys in Godfather put it, 
one thing, one thing we've learned from history. That is, you can kill anyone. Ah, the romance, the drama of it all. Our passionate hope for a savior, uh, a messiah, for a great love, a leader, you know, a transformative force, some godlike individual, someone who can at least symbolize our human hopes. I'm always muttering to people you know, that Jesus isn't running, you know, uh, Gandhi doesn't go into politics, it's not his game. I wonder, I have always wondered if it's true. Uh, that we get the leaders we deserve, at least in this country. Um, we don't get the parents we deserve. It's so complicated. Uh, obviously, we do have something to do with selecting those people who control our lives, at least a little bit. <laughs> So, God, I, I hope we're not going to get what we deserve. We do live, thank God, in a secular nation. So there's, there's still a few folks, um, uh, I know three, folks with their feet on the ground, you know. Folks strong enough to see past the romance, the uh, hoopla of politics. Smart enough to know that politics is the art of the possible, as my history teacher told me in my uh, junior year of high school. Yes, he was a dear old man, was in Laguna Beach. He sat us in a big circle so that we would, uh, you know, uh, so that we wouldn't be hierarchical. <laughs> I'm talking 1949. He said the art of the possible. He said that politicians were... Workers and public servants, and they were supposed to get out there and do stuff, not just be stuff. He said that that business of being something, that was for kings and queens and actors and getting dressed up, you know. He said that politics was the art of moving from A to B, the skill, that is, of Working with imperfect human beings, uh, searching always for a perfect world, and of course, always failing but changing the world while we were at it. He said that the uh, bureaucrats, or whatever you want to call them, the government workers, he said their task was to use a civil discourse... Speech, language, talk, English, you know, even other languages. Use discourse to advance human rights. Uh, it's what one of my children referred to as the myth of progress. He said I, I was a victim of that, victim of a liberal education. I swear, little Chelsea Clinton, God bless her bones, was over at Mills College last weekend, and I didn't get there, but I heard great things. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> civilization, yes, civilization. Uh, civilization is not a frill. It's the work of generations. I think that what's left of the left here in the United States is struggling painfully, trying to keep hope alive, uh, when I listen to, 
oh, talk radio or even TV, I do sometimes despair at the naive and infantile opinions of so many of our good citizens. Uh, someone sometime or another said, opinion is the death of knowledge. Um, actually, there was an English woman in the 19th century, uh, Harriet Martineau, I think. Don't know how to pronounce her last name. She's a friend of Charlotte Bronte's. Anyway, she visited the United States and she said that <laughs> that in the United States, opinion is the received religion. Uh, yes, that's our religion, our opinion. I don't know where that comes from, these uh, convictions we have, you know. They are not the result of thought exactly. Sometimes I think that, yes, that thinking, thinking hurts so much. It just hurts so much. And then, you know, to think twice is absolute psychic agony. You know how it is when you turn things over in your mind and, you know, you try to seek truth from facts. All facts never bothered us. Uh, <laughs> our citizens are only interested in their feelings. Um, most of them talk like consumers rather than citizens. Uh, they don't buy this or that ideology or person or party, whatever, you know. Uh, they they do check out the celebrity profiles of the candidates. I find that fascinating. I'm so old, I can remember when most of the fuss about Hillary dealt with her hat. I think it was the hat she wore to the first inauguration. Um, last time they made a fuss, it was about the moment when she teared up. She didn't actually. She, she choked up for just a moment, and the pundits jumped all over that. And the time before was the time when she laughed, you know. My old friend, the poet Alta, wrote something years ago that I kept. I kept it in my little notebook. She said, uh, she wrote in her um, little book, uh, I Am Not a Practicing Angel. It was published by the Shameless Hussy Press. Her little poem read, You think weeping sounds bad? You should hear me laugh. <laughs> anyway, most of us, most citizens, voters, Americans, whatever we are, we want our needs met. We have a list, a little list, non-negotiable demands, yes. Mm -hmm. um, not just what kinds of leaders we want, you know, as far as their looks and manners go, but, uh, you know, we have... Um, a list of things that, you know, uh, what would you call it? Um, I would say in this uh, social work that I did years ago, there were two kinds of needs. There were felt needs and then there were these wants, you know. A felt need was glasses, you know, if you couldn't see to get across the street. But the other things were these wants, these desires, you know, for things like uh, comfortable houses and good food. Anyway, some of us 
are old enough to remember JFK, Jack Kennedy, Jack Fitzgerald. He had a line, much quoted old line. It went, ask not what you can do for yourself, but ask what you can do for your country. Yes. Uh, excuse me. My mind is going. My mind is going. You see there, a senior moment, folks. The exact line is, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask not what your country, your leaders can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. <laughs> Jack. Oh, Jack made a, a mistake. He rushed in where angels fear to tread. His brother Bobby did the same. Anyway, there's no way for that thinking to, um, that kind of talk, that kind of uh, hyperbole to take flight today. Um, uh, I know that the even the Democrats are not saying greed is good exactly. That's not the way they put it. But the candidates do seem to be completely by promising us stuff, you know they they uh, uh, you know they promise to make our lives better, um, which is a good idea. Sure, uh, if we are happy, well then we can make others happy. Uh, now the truth is that most of those things on our list are not actually within the. Um, within the power of the executive to give us the market does what it does. Uh, what was that? I heard uh, Barack Obama making a promise. But he was promising to be, oh, I don't know if he said it or one of his people said it. He's going to be post-partisan. You know that bit. You know, like, it's going to bring us all together. United we stand a chance. Uh House divided cannot stand, so forth and so on. Uh, sounds great. Yes. <laughs> Lots of luck. Anyway, imagine, if you will, or if you care to, imagine that sweet, sweet young man. Uh, he's 46, Barack Obama, 46. Uh, imagine him in a debate with... Uh, the 71-year-old John McCain. Picture that in your mind. <laughs> I don't know. I think um, I think Barack Obama's wife would have a better chance, Michelle. She's pretty cool. Of course, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Uh, uh, it would only be the, what, fifth, sixth, the 100th time. I mean, I'm the one... I'm the one who said that Ronnie Reagan could never, never be elected. Good God, imagine such a thing. I, I was in a play with Ronald Reagan down in Laguna Beach in the 1950s. It was about 1950, yes. I'm telling you folks, uh, uh, politics is just one big surprise after another. Anyway, I suppose that we should try to enjoy the show business aspect of this thing. Uh, after all, what was it Hillary used to say? Yes, is it fun yet? She said back in 1992. She said politics should be fun. <laughs> oh, 
all those millions and millions of dollars. It should be the greatest show on earth. It should beat out Hollywood. I I used to dream of a world or a country, you know, where the leaders could be chosen by the amount of money or um, stuff, stuff, you know, they could raise to promote the general welfare. You remember, promote the general welfare. Uh, uh, the old paradigm back in the day, the old days, it was all about a leader who uh, rises to the top because he's the most feared, he's the strongest, the strong man, you know, the silverback, the tough guy, um, you know, the Genghis Khan, whatever. A head man was the man who took the most heads, literally, you know, put them on a spike, mm, play ball with them, yes. Mm-hmm. Ancient empires, actually, they're not ancient at all. We see how much of that is still going around. Entire nations run by thugs. Uh, they constantly call them rogue nations, whereas the biggest nations in the world are run by people who could be described as thugs. My utopia is this land, the land, you know, where the highest rank, the highest honors, the biggest, what is it, um, uh, the scepter and the orb, it goes to the one who builds the best infrastructure, you know, the one who creates the best civilization, the schools, the hospitals, the roads, the aqueducts, you know, uh, civilization. Architecture is nice, yes. Uh, <laughs> Hitler was big on architecture, yes. You know, I mean the sort of infrastructure, the sort of civilization where uh, human affection can rule, where the greatest good for the greatest number is the basic assumption, you know, where um, children, all children, are the center of our concern, you know. Uh, the bourgeois democracy, actually, it always sounds so dreadful. Uh, I think of um, Charlotte Bronte. What was it? She said, nothing, nothing refines like affection. I was watching Jane Austen uh, last night, some of the masterpiece theater things. Uh, let's see, the character, there was a, um, a show called Miss Austen Regrets, and it was supposed to be a biographical, and an imagining of Jane Austen's biography. They put in Jane Austen's mother, played by Phyllida Law, an actress who happens to be Emma Thompson's mother. Get that one. Anyway, at one point, Phyllida Law takes her daughter in her arms and she says that to be rich is not a bad thing. She said it means to be safe. Uh-huh. There's a similar scene in the television series Rome that fascinated me, yes. The marks of wealth meant that you were protected. It is interesting. Um, you think about it. Years ago, I remember as a substitute teacher, my favorite quickie lesson was to ask children what was more important or uh, if they had to choose, which would they choose, love or money? 
And, of course, before we got through with the lesson, they found that there might be a kind of connection. Uh, oh, it's so difficult to talk about a world where everybody has a piece of the pie, you know, where everybody has subsistence. We have been indoctrinated to believe what's that awful line, the poor are always with you, which is, of course, a biblical line, and it does not mean that the poor are inevitable. It means nothing of the sort. <laughs> Actually, yes, I think it was just, uh, was it Jesus was talking to a woman who was going to bathe his feet. Uh, yes, he said, uh, she was going to give the, the oil or something to the poor. He said, well, the poor you have always with you. That is, you can always give to the less fortunate. But me, you do not have always with you, which is true. Each individual only has a moment. Uh, I guess it's too complicated an idea. <laughs> the notion, the notion that everyone, yes, everyone, should go to the store club, that everyone should have the good things in life. Uh, it's the kind of socialism that confuses people. It's the George Bernard Shaw sort of socialism. Uh, not bloody likely. When I was growing up, uh, my mother's friends explained to me that what communism meant was that uh, we all had to share and that meant that I would have to give some of my things to other people. And I said, yes, but, you know, some of them would have to share with me. Isn't that so? <laughs> I guess, yes, most people don't think they measure. This week, I pulled myself together and tried to pay attention. I heard Dolores Huerta endorse Hillary Clinton. Aha, I thought. Dolores Huerta, a woman who is at the heart of the Farm Workers Union. I made a note of that. Then I watched the Kennedys and Toni Morrison signing up for Obama. Oh, dear. Oh, for two. Then I turn on the radio and I listen to <laughs> certain type of men. You know, the type that like to pillory Hillary for no good reason than that she's Hillary. Uh... Some pundit asked uh, the candidates which book they would choose to take with them to the White House. Now, I've got to find that in my notes and tell you exactly what it was, because they were very funny. But I do remember some, some of them, uh, if they won, they said the book they would take with them to the White House to be the press. Yes, Hillary said she'd take the Constitution especially as she was under the impression that there was no copy of it there just now at present. And then she went on to mention the P Federalist Papers. You remember the Federalist Papers? That's back in 1800. I, I think that stuff is still called Jeffersonian democracy, a mixed bag. Uh, Barack Obama mentioned a book either about Abe Lincoln or by Abe Lincoln. Now I can't remember which, you know. It has all of that uh, of by and for the people stuff. Um, I have a footnote here. I wonder if I'm allowed to talk nasty like, uh, what's his name? Oh, uh, Howard Stern, yes, his favorite, his favorite uh, bumper sticker, yes. 
He said that we had government of the phallus, by the phallus, and for the phallus. He used the five-letter word. Uh, don't think I, I should say that. I'm trying to keep it clean because they make a great deal of fuss about language these days. Uh, anyway, I can't remember any of the other books. Oh, the candidates, yes. John, John McCain said... I think it was John McCain. Maybe it was another Republican. He mentioned the wealth of nations, right? <laughs> you know, because it's going to be the economy, stupid. <laughs> Don't follow leaders. Watch the parking meters. I pity these poor politicians. I truly, truly do. Uh, you just can't please all of the people all of the time. Any woman can tell you that, you know. You're bound to drop the ball once in a while. Uh, you can't even please some of the people some of the time. And besides, even if you did, even if you get the majority of the popular vote, that is, that won't necessarily put you in the White House. Ask Al Gore. <laughs> empires come and empires go. History happens. Late, late last night, I was trying to find a poem by Edna St. Vincent Millay about uh, the demise of our species, about the end of humankind. It's in a sonnet series, a uh, heartbreaking series, and I thought, no, I can't stand to be sad. Uh, it may be that uh, we're burning out, but, uh, as she says, yes, my candle burns at both ends. It will not last the night. But, ah, oh, my friends and, oh, my foes, it gives a lovely light. What I did find was a letter that she wrote that I uh, kept. And uh, it dates from the time when my mother was reading Edna St. Vincent Millay. Jackie Kennedy used to read Millay. Ah, the letter ends... Uh, I will love you always, no matter what party is in power. I just mentioned that in case anybody out there is getting into a terrible fight over this brouhaha of an election. I have heard a number of people go to the wall and not speak to each other again, you know, because their participation um, is upsetting their significant others and their friends. Uh, if your heart is in it, I think you should, of course, participate because it does matter. We do change the world, as uh, old F. Scott Fitzgerald said, yes, um, <laughs> the capacity, yes, to hold opposing ideas in the mind and continue to function. That's the test of intelligence, you know. It may not matter in the great uh, cosmic, uh, what is it, the great cosmic dance. But uh, I think it might help, kind of like flossing, you know. It can't hurt to give a damn. Uh, now, I brought with me today piles and piles of political poetry. And, of course, I've run out of time. I've completely run out of time. I was going to tell you all about Hillary Rodham Clinton channeling Eleanor Roosevelt. Like many others, I got 
calls from Hillary. I don't know whether they went out to register Democrats or whether I'm on her list. I have written to her. Anyway, she says on my telephone answering machine, she says that we've got to take our country back, which is interesting. Uh, <laughs> I know what I wanted to tell you about today. The candidates also said how they take their coffee. Now, John McCain, I believe, is a little bit, uh, uh, what is that, indulgent. He takes a latte, whereas Hillary takes her coffee black, sometimes with cream. Think that one through. I'm going to channel Molly Ivins till next week when I will be back on the air. I think we'll, we'll just read a little of Molly Ivins, some of her wisdom. This has been Jennifer Stone. I will be back on the air, not Thursday, marathon, but next Tuesday at this time. Till then, go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. Drop the shadow. My name is Elena, and I live in Cupertino, California. Uh, I teach political science at the university level, and I have to say that KPFA is an untarnished window in my mind to the world. I also find that KPFA suits my personality in terms of its musical offerings, its alternative health programs, and just the general.